Welcome to Fable and the Verbivore. I'm Fable, Beth Stedman. I'm the Verbivore, Laura Johnson. And this is a podcast for writers who love to read. Readers who love to write. And anyone who loves words. Well, today we are continuing our exploration of poetry. And this time we're going to talk a little bit about some specific poets and books of poetry that we've both been reading and exploring things we liked in them things we've learned from them yeah just kind of our reaction to some of those books and, and poets I know that Laura's been reading a lot of um, modern poets and I've been reading a lot of dead poets yep. <laughs> so we'll have like a good mix here for oh, you yeah. like people can find what they want a little bit yep um, yeah so we're just we're going to kind of limit ourselves to just the last couple of poetry books we've read and then explore those so you want to start us off Laura what's um, one that you've read recently that absolutely um well I thought actually that I'd start with um slam poetry that I've been watching Mm. um because that's that's been fascinating and I think one slam poetry is so accessible like it's you watch one and it maybe is three minutes maybe five maybe seven um but there's so much in the lyrical there's so much in the rhymes and the sound of the voices like there's so much that you can take away in it and I think it's so much more approachable than just words on a page because you get the person who wrote it um actually like expressing it embodying it and bringing it out there from a auditory you know getting it out into the world and then having that input back with the people who are watching and listening to it and watching poetry slam competitions is just really fun because like there's lots of back and forth but the ones I really linked in to um as we're reading the poet x which again is the um one for this month I realized that uh Elizabeth Acevedo was also in poetry slams um so we're looking backwards I think into like 2014 and 2015 um she was in a lot of competitions and it's interesting because I saw a TED talk with a poetry slam champion named Pages Matam who's fantastic I'd highly recommend checking out his TED talk his poetry actually runs into his speech um, in the TED talk and so uh-huh. there's not clear delineation from yeah. it um, and the way he emphasizes words the word choice his poetry is just it's lyrical it's kind of it does have some connection in musicality um, mm. that you know, not every poet has I love the rhymes that he chooses but the him and Elizabeth Acevedo and another poet, um, G. Yama, uh, Yamazawa, uh-huh. um, have one together that's called Unforgettable, and I'd highly recommend mm-hmm. it. It's about all three of their experiences and their names, like the names that were given to them and how they didn't quite fit. Um, it is fantastic. It's powerful. <laughs> it's just like the tempo, the coming in and coming out of voices when the voices are all three together. And then when they break out, there's just so much play there. Um, And I think it's an amazing vehicle to, 
to express something that may, may be a little difficult to express on the page, yes. but that, you know, when you get that chorus of voices almost comes through so clear. So yeah. I highly recommend that. That sounds fascinating. Yes. Let's look it up. <laughs> Please do. It, and even just the tempo of them, mm-hmm. they go faster than I could mm-hmm. ever. That's where it kind of verges almost into like a rap because of the yeah because of that tempo but it's so like the punching of the words so powerful I'll put several of the ones that I really connected with up there's uh one that Elizabeth Acevedo did as well uh called Afro-Latina that's also very powerful and that's been it's one of those things that I hadn't seen slam poetry before I enjoy rap but mm-hmm. I'd not really gone down that road yeah. and just seeing the potential you're like watching it and you're like this is the coolest thing ever I, yes. I don't necessarily think that I could do it in the same way but even just getting that oh this is possible like mm-hmm. this is something that this is how you could use your voice or yeah. use several voices but that was really moving interesting door opening mind blowing <laughs> Yes. I vividly remember the first time I like, yeah, I was not familiar with slam poetry at all either. And then, um, Brian had a friend who married, um, a niece. I, I can't think of his last name. Um, anyway, they're divorced now, but he, so a niece came to our, our apartment one time, um, in Seattle. And I, like, I knew he was a poet and I was like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. So I like looked up online beforehand and, and he has these slam poetry videos that just like blew me away. I was like, so in awe. He has a TEDx <laughs> talk, I think too. And I remember just being like, what? Someone can do this? This is poetry? Like my mind was blown. And then I was like super awestruck and super like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but it is such a unique form of poetry. It feels like something yes. that takes what you know of poetry and these words on the page and then adds this whole other layer to it. Yeah. You get just this musicality, this, uh, passion almost, or like fire this, like, I don't know, this energy behind it, you know, that can't really always be portrayed on the page. I I think it's amazing when people can do that. (laughs) I don't know if I could. Absolutely. But even like the ways in which they push out the possible, I think there's things to be gleaned there for even just word choice and rhyme choice and and how they frame it I've seen one where they actually swapped voices on purpose so there's a a girl who's saying the words for her black um male counterpart and he's Um. saying the words for this white girl's counterpart interesting Um, yeah And that's the point of the poem is when you're taking someone else's voice, Mm. you are silencing them. And so Mm. I think it's called silenced voices. It was so powerful. Like, where else could you do that? It's like a whole new form. But I think think showing what's possible, there was a mathematician, poetry slam champion who actually did one in German. And Mm. the, the play of language there with, by using kind of plays on words with in two different languages back and forth was really fascinating too. And so I think, yeah, it it opens the doors of what's possible. Totally. I think watching slam poetry also really taught me to read my poetry aloud. Mm -hmm. Like 
pretty much after ever since doing that, anytime I've tried to write poetry, like I make sure that I read it aloud because it changes, it changes everything. And so often I, when I do that, I'll realize like, oh, I'm always stumbling over this line. Something needs to change here. Something's not working. The rhythm isn't right. And so you'll change it and it makes it better on the page too, because it was better as you said it, you know, like, and it's interesting the ways those, those things can overlap and interact with each other, both the auditory voice and then the what ends up on the page. It is funny how when we put something out, our ear knows something that our just natural yes. brain reading something doesn't. And and that is fascinating that yeah. by adding in that element, we kind of engage a different knowledge like tied yes. to that. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Um I recently did um Wild Embers. Um, by Nikita Gill, which mm. I'd seen Nikita Gill's um, poetry before on Pinterest, yeah. <laughs> which was kind of, I, I didn't know necessarily who she was, but I have since learned that she, through her social media, basically would put out a lot of different poems. Yeah, I've followed up. her She's, Instagram for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. But I loved the poems that I read. Mm. Um, this one is, um, it's poems of rebellion, fire, and beauty. And a lot of the poetry that she has is about looking at hurts and kind of looking within, um, mm. letting yourself forgive yourself for things, mm. letting yourself um, let go of the things that you need to let go of yeah it's very introspective it's very it can be talking out and it can be talking kind of inward mm. there's I love the mix of that yeah um that some poetry feels like they're almost self-healing and some are almost like that sharing of knowledge she has a whole section on retelling fairy tales um mm. to tell the right story with them Hmm. and I actually read those out loud to Erin I'm like listen to this and I loved how she took things from other authors and created a new story and created Hmm. a new narrative to teach us different things about those characters she did it with Greek goddesses as well and I I loved what the story she was able to retell or reframe or recontextualize. It feels like one of those that I, even though some of it was very connected to trauma and hurt mm-hmm. and healing, it, it was so hopeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, after reading through them, I, I kind of kept being reawakened to the stories that it is that we've been given mm. and the stories it is that we can tell and tell them in different ways than the ones in which we've been given. Yeah. Um, I think there was a lot of opening up on that side. I do have one to read if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> this is called growth. Maybe the true meaning of life is to understand that you have never been in the same physical place twice, not even within your home own home. You see the earth the solar system and the galaxy are all moving through space constantly. And from this, you learn that growth is an essential part of flowing and being Mm. that growth is simply learning how to suffer gracefully, elegantly, 
constantly moving and traveling without letting your pain tear you apart. And take solace in the fact that even though growth itself is agonizing, your spirit was never meant to feel the same pain twice, the same grief twice. She brings in a lot in this one, a lot of the universal and the quite literally the universe Mm -hmm. um, within that and a place within the universe and the question of home and the question of this space being home and sometimes are attempting to keep that exactly as it is. I love mm-hmm. that it's very freeing of that concept. So yeah. from a theme standpoint, I loved it. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I also loved the visual elements of the constant movement that we don't realize is there. Mm. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. That reminds me, um, one of the books I read recently or poetry books I read recently was the complete works of Anne Sexton. Mm. And it, so it had like each of her books broken up, but one of her books did a similar thing with the fairy tale retellings. And I think it was transformations. I think it's her book transformations and played with like just different elements and how, how often in fairy tales, there are these transformations and these Mm. characters being changed into other characters and toad being changed into prince and all this kind of thing, um, just played in a really abstract way with those. And it it was fascinating. Like I just, yeah, I think I totally agree with you. It was an interesting, an an interesting, maybe challenge to give yourself to play with old art forms in in a new way or old stories in a new way to try to say something that you wanted to say. I did love that whole book actually. Like in Sexton, some of them were very, it's very abstract and some of them are bordering on a little too abstract. Um, but I think, yeah, I think her book to Bedlam and back was probably my favorite, but transformations was probably my, my second favorite. It's very feely. Like, yes. <laughs> it's, it's, she's definitely dealing with some mental health. It, it deals with a lot of mental health issues, but it was, um, oddly healing to read last year. <laughs> And I think seeing someone else, like even like from a modeling perspective, yeah, seeing them doing the work, even directed at themselves, whether it's directed at themselves or if it's yeah. directed at kind of a more general um, audience, it can be that encouraging. Yeah, <laughs> like oh, someone else is doing the work. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, and she has an interesting story too. Like Anne Sexton started writing poetry because her doctor told her to kind of, or like really? it was um, encouraged, I think, by one of her psychologists, if I remember right. And then, I mean, she went on to sell books and do that poetry. But. Yeah. I think realizing that again, what makes us human is that we feel <laughs> that that is definitely valid and that we feel that we hurt, that we struggle, um, that we have pain that we're trying to sort through even I think I've been in a place where I've needed to do that and sometimes seeing someone else be like oh dude you're here too like (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) it it kind of is that taking each other by the hand and being like it's okay like we will walk through this together well and poetry feels like such a good form for that because it just is so naturally emotive or it, it lends itself well to the exploration of the emotions I think well yeah. and it's open in such a way that I think it allows us to take out that pain 
and to hold it up and like look at it from different directions in mm-hmm. ways that other forms yeah. don't really make possible. Even um, I'm, I was thinking this the other day. Um, there's this book called the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows that I've mm-hmm. been reading through, and it's not poetry, but it's it gives you a language um, for words that we don't have actual words mm-hmm. for. And I think that's what's great about poetry is you don't need the word. You can use a lot of methods to find the feeling of the word, yes. even if the word doesn't exist. Yes, I agree. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> okay, what's another one you've read recently that you like? Um, well, it's it's interesting because I can't say that I loved everything about this one. Oh, good, because um, I have one that I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll touch on those two. But there was several things that I got out of it. Um, it's so it's Barbara Kingsolver's um, How to Fly in 10,000 Easy Lessons. And there were certain one poems in it that I just didn't connect with at all. Um, maybe it was the form that it was written in or the words didn't connect with feelings of great meaning to me personally. Mm. But there were several sections of it that I really connected with. She wrote a book that we actually have fairly recently um, yeah. had as part of our, yeah, um, that the name of which I'm missing right now. Um, Animal, Animal, Animal Dreams. Dreams? Yeah, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed. And with this one, like the ones that went emotional and went deep, mm. I really got and connected with. And the ones that kind of, didn't as much I just wasn't as connected with which I find because I think most of animal dreams went pretty deep yeah there were two sections though that were really for me that really connected um she actually has a very long prose poem which Hmm. I'm not as prose poems are a little harder for me especially when they're so long yeah And, and it was on it was on knitting and wool and sheep and it it had a a funneling down purpose it just didn't connect as much <laughs> to to me but she had one that basically section that chronicled the travel that she did with her mother-in-law back to Italy mm. and I have been to Italy which yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. uh, for your wedding <laughs> and there were so many things like little moments about that that actually really deeply struck chords Mm. um with little moments of being in Rome and like crazy taxi rides and (laughs) um winding hills that really connected but it was a a working through of like coming back to who one is um Mm. because her mother-in-law left Italy as a young girl age Uh eight and hadn't been back Um, she had to leave her family actually behind and there was a lot that grappled with the human side of loss and of coming back and trying to find yourself and of what is home which I think I've been grappling with personally as well Mm. and hers is a very it's a packed style like she throws all of it at you and Uh so much description which sometimes to me can be a bit overwhelming I do Mm. like things that are a little more stripped down or separated out and I think that's one of my (laughs) challenges with it but she also had this really great section where she had a subject which was um 
it, it was actually blow me and it was like blow me away it was a dash mm-hmm. and each of her mm-hmm. paragraphs then had a different word to go with that uh-huh. subject I love those playful basically ways of using a subject for a poem for some of the poetry I've read there is no subject at all um sure and I like seeing how if there are subjects how they tend to play with the subject of the poem Mm -hmm. because some can be so abstract to the point that you're like I have no idea how they chose <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that subject. And I did like that almost every single one of hers, like, although it didn't give away the game of the poem from the beginning, like mm-hmm. it all had that meaning connected with it. So from that standpoint, I definitely That's recommend it. Even if it doesn't directly connect with you every single thing, yeah. there could be something for you. And yes. I'm glad I didn't stop reading it because then I wouldn't have read the ones that, that really did. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And she had one about Australia towards the end that I, I loved. It was about the outback and the mm-hmm. earth. I really connected with that one yeah. and how grounded it was in nature. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So read and just give it time, see yes. what connects with you. <laughs> I think that's great though to read poets even that you're not sure about or that don't connect with yeah. you. Because I mean, like you said, they might have something in there that really connects with you, but also it helps you to figure out what you connect with and what yes. matters to you. And even like what your the styles you like are and all of that. And it, I mean, I think all of that goes back to helping you figure out your own voice too. Um, like we talked about in previous episodes. Yeah. So I, I think it's been helpful. I, I read um, a collection of Emily Dickinson poems re- recently, which I will be honest, she is not for me. And and it, yeah. like, she just, I really wanted to like her, you know, like yes. people do love her. And I really wanted to love her, but I just couldn't, I couldn't get into it. And, and it took me a while to figure it out, but because of reading the whole thing, I mean, she did have some that I really liked. And as I, as I started to look at, okay, why did I really like this one? And not most of these other ones. Yes. Um, it was really informative, actually. Like it really helped me to hone some things that that I like and don't like in poetry, and some things that I like and don't like just in writing in general. And and there there are a lot of things that I liked in her. Like some of her imagery is amazing. You know, like yeah. um, it, totally. Like her imagery is amazing. It is. It just is. Um, her yeah. use of nature is really amazing. Like uh, I loved all of that. But her rhythm drove me mad. Like it just it's. <laughs> Yeah, it was just frustrating to me. There was something almost like uh, cacophonous in it sometimes. Discordant. Yep. Yes, very yes. discordant. Uh, she'll use a rhyming scheme and then she'll break it. And yes. I know that sometimes, I, I sometimes love poetry that does that intentionally. And and it could be intentional that she did it, but she did it all the time. And it just drove me mad. And she would like do the rhyme a couple times, break it, and then do the rhyme a couple times. Like it wasn't even, sometimes, you know, like if it's just at the end or something like then it would be like a punctuation mark. And this just felt like, wait, ah, <laughs> you can't do that to me. If you're going to rhyme, rhyme. If you're not going to rhyme, don't rhyme. You know, like something in my like sensory system, just like, oh, it was like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> I think that's a great way of saying it. And I've kind of walked away from her feeling very similar yeah. things in that, I can admit that she has something to bring to the table. Absolutely. And that I think even from word choice, from choosing to combine words to show a thing, I can learn that her form is not for me. 
Yeah. It was like too formatic without totally sticking to it almost, you know, like I feel like if she had used that imagery in a free form poem, like it would have been fine, but she was like trying to stick to this and she uses really like, she uses the same meter as most um, hymns, which I like, but, but Mm -hmm. she doesn't stick with it. She's like inconsistent with it. And that's what really bothered me. There's so much in poetry that is about pattern. And when it starts to feel like chaos. <laughs> That's yeah. like, wait, like, yeah. I, and I think we tend to, our brain looks for patterns. Yes. And when the pattern is being broken, possibly on purpose, it is very um, distressing. Actually. It can be jarring. Like, yeah. Well, I think oh. Billy Collins talked about that too in, in his masterclass, like this idea uh, of setting the reader up, setting their expectations up. And like, you want to fulfill yes. those expectations so that they're satisfied, but you want to do it in a little bit of a surprising way. And it's the same thing we talked about with, with like writing the end of a, of a novel, you know, you want it to yes. be inevitable. You want the reader to be able to be like, oh yeah, of course that's going to go that way. You know, like you want them yeah. to expect it a little bit, but you wanted it to be surprising too. And, and the yes. same is true in poetry. And, and he talked about how meter does that for the reader. Like when you stick to a certain meter, it gives the reader that safe expectation. And so then they can, they can know oh, this is familiar, like lulls them into yes. comfort. And then you do want to twist that a little bit, and, but you twist it not by breaking the pattern. Like, yeah. I don't know. At least not usually, you know, like occasionally, sure. But when the form then is almost like tossed out yeah. over and over and over again at odd intervals, it's almost like- You lose it, trust almost yeah. in the poet. <laughs> yeah. That's you're like, I'm not sure if you even know what I mean, not that she didn't know what she was no, doing, but yeah, well, I it's think... the same in writing fiction too. You know, like if you, we talk about making promises to the reader yeah. or like setting up questions in the reader's mind. And if you don't answer those or you don't fulfill yes. on those promises, then the reader loses trust with you. And, and it feels yes. discordant in the same way, I think. I'm going to bring up something that we've talked about before. Um, the ending of a book that was those things that we talked about, but also like took a bunch of people out. So Allegiant, it's funny how much, I didn't realize how much there is emotionally out there about what happened at the end of that book. And I think sometimes recognizing that you can do something, but it's going to have an emotional cost and it might be worth it. Absolutely be worth it. And I'm obviously not trying to say whether or not that was worth it but with Emily Dickinson it's the same like when you do that it's going to have a cost the cost is going to be to your reader yeah and the result may be that they don't pick up your book next time yeah and it's kind of recognizing those things that you know okay like you you don't want them there to be no interest you don't want there to be no type of turn yeah or you don't want it to go exactly as they anticipate it goes, sure. but if it's so far out there, you may end up with readers yes. who feel like, I'm not sure this is for me. Yeah. So it's, it's jarring. And if you yeah. want that jarring, like you can use that to your yep. to good effect sometimes, <laughs> but you just have to know that, that, that jarringness yeah. has a cost. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as we talk about using things like that, as you said, if it was used once to like, if it was used in a certain way to punctuate something, that might be a better choice. Um, Even just realizing that readers 
modern readers may be looking for something different yeah. than readers in another time as well. Yeah, that's true. I did wonder often when I was reading Emily Dixon too, like there were times when the rhyme really bothered me. And then I would think like, like, I almost wondered if an accent would change it, you know, like, yeah. I mean, she's in the South, like I'm probably reading this very differently than she would read it, which maybe is some of it, but yeah, it I wasn't for me. I love that though, considering like the source, obviously we can't hear how she would have read her own work. Yeah. And so realizing that some of that meaning may potentially be lost because that ability to listen to that voice is also lost. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay. What's another one? <laughs> so I've been reading, and this has been just like the nourishing, like of my spirit in a world filled with chaos. I've been rereading all along. You were blooming mm-hmm. uh, thoughts for a boundless living, uh, which is a poetry collection by Morgan Harper Nichols, which she also has very nourishing posts on Instagram yes. as well. And there's been just so many, she writes a lot about light. She writes yeah. a lot about healing and darkness and mm. finding hope and renewal and f- finding that um, connection even to the earth and to yeah. a purpose. And her her form is kind of like you, some of it isn't what naturally I would say is hugely poetic other than like it almost feels like more of a speech but it's it's so even so like it's so nourishing in how it's in there and I love the combination of artwork with poetry and how that can give additional meaning to the words how having that kind of connected additional information and I love listening to her actually read her words Mm because that then adds that additional to the that there's the art and the voice and the the words themselves and part of what she does is actually writing poetry for other people like I was just gonna say one of my favorite things that she does and and I, she used to do this a lot years and years ago but yeah now I I think she just does it kind of periodically but people would leave comments about their story or something they were struggling with. And then she would write a poem for them. When I first started, that that was why I first started following her really. And it, I thought it was such a great challenge to yourself as a writer for starters. Mm -hmm. And then also it just, when I think of her voice, I really think like one of the biggest words that comes to mind is encouraging. Like her stuff is just so encouraging. And I kind of think that that practice is what grew that, you know, like grew that in her voice. Um, because it started like so much of her poetry started as this way to encourage other people. These poems are from, if I believe they're from that practice Mm -hmm. and the themes then are so expansive. Yes. Which that is useful too. Maybe you, maybe you can't relate with every poem itself, but there's lots of things that are intersectional. There are lots of things that I'm like, Oh, that's for me today. Like I'm, I'm here for that. I read them actually before going to sleep and I, Mm. it's one of those that it kind of helps to ground me, (laughs) helps to kind of quiet my mind at the end of the day and realizing that poems, we learn things from them. Some may be, you know, they have in terms of form so much to teach us. They have, you know, the, these uses of words and some, you just read them and you're like, 
I feel like I've gotten like fed, like, and I was starving and didn't realize it. And realizing that it has that power of kind of resetting our emotions, of redirecting our mind, of kind of connecting on that soul to soul level of we're not just meeting as as minds we're meeting as Hmm. human beings stripped down of all you know stripped down to just the things that make us human yeah do you mind if I read one (laughs) maybe on the other side of this there will be a row of city lights maybe just maybe they will light up the sky and remind us the world is filled with life We have lost more than we could ever imagine, but now we carry with us a hope that shines as bright as a summer meteor shower and love that holds as steady as the ground beneath our feet. And the more we climb, we are beginning to find just how valuable life is. Mm. You know, as I was saying, there's something for everyone. I think that having poetry that remind us that there are points of light in life that remind yeah. us of that hope of that that constant even when life is chaotic mm. that can just be really powerful so yeah <laughs> I love that yeah I love that you said you read that before bed because I do feel like her stuff feels like almost it could be a meditation of yes. sorts like just something to kind of dwell on and sit with like so I, I think I love that idea of like reading one or two and then just dwelling with them as you fall asleep or just like staying with them meditating on them yeah absolutely and I think even as she reads them like it almost feels like I could turn that into a meditation listening to her voice the cadence of it yeah Um, they're very calming (laughs) even recognizing that a poem has the ability to do that to alter our emotional state. Yeah, absolutely. That feels like exactly one of the gifts of poetry that it can tap absolutely. into that. And like, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So my favorite one I've read recently is um, Mary Rainier Rilke's Book of Hours, the most recent translation. And so it's, it was amazing. I really loved it. It's kind of an exploration. It does probably be a little more on the abstract side, but it still feels really clear. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, And it felt like this exploration of both of life, but also of uh, spirituality and religion and kind of his relationship with God. And there's something in the poems that feels almost, I hesitate to use this word, but almost sensual in that. Like, yeah, that's not quite the right word, but there's something about the imagery he uses and things that just feels very visceral without like it's yes. he's not heavy on like descriptions of the moment or where he is necessarily mm-hmm. but but yeah visceral in a different sort of way is it kind of an intimacy like yes, type of maybe feel? maybe but also like um or here I think maybe this one would be a good example I love you, gentlest of ways, who ripen us as we wrestle with you. You, the great homesickness we could never shake off. You, the forest that always surrounds us. You, the song we sang in every silence. You, dark net threading through us. You began yourself so greatly on that day when you began us. And we have so ripened in your sunlight, spreading far and firmly planted. And now in all people, angels, Madonnas, you have 
you can decide the work is done. Let your hand rest on the rim of heaven now and mutely bear the darkness we bring over you. Yeah, there's this like exploration, both of the negative side of humanity and also the like beauty and power of humanity, almost the like the divine spark of humanity, maybe Uh in a lot of his poems. Yeah, there was another one I was thinking. Yeah. I am, you anxious one. Don't you sense me, ready to break into being at your touch? My murmurings surround you like shadowy wings. Can't you see me standing before you, cloaked in stillness? Hasn't my longing ripened in you from the beginning, as fruit ripens on a branch? I am the dream you are dreaming. When you want to awaken, I am that wanting. I grow strong in the beauty you behold, and with the silence of stars, I unfold your cities made by time. So, like, in that one, he switches almost to, like, speaking from the side of divinity to humanity and other times he's speaking as himself to to divinity and there's this just the whole thing seems like this interesting conversation and he's exploring I mean it's called the book of hours so he's exploring clearly a lot of like the monastic life too and and some of that he was not a monastic (laughs) he was definitely a poet and lives more the lifestyle of a poet but it was a beautiful book and that was one that really a lot of those poems really spoke to me and, and felt also like things I could, they just were beautiful. <laughs> they were just yeah. pretty <laughs> and like things I could meditate on or think on or kind of stay with. Well, and I think that's what going back and looking at poets, maybe who are no longer alive mm-hmm. and reconnecting with their words. They have so many things to teach us that we probably yeah. haven't seen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And aesthetics is definitely a part of poetry like of even looking at the world and seeing something that other people might be take for granted or recognizing something about humanity that maybe is just you know not really called out and giving it shape and substance and bringing it forth for us to consider and to look at and to do so in a beautiful way. Like it's kind of like you both have the workout of considering something, but also by considering the words of it, which are very aesthetically pleasing and interesting. I first read his book, um, letters to a young poet. Have you read that one? I haven't. It is sitting like Okay. Right here. <laughs> you should. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I almost did. Like, I almost like speed read, read it. To, it's not really like, one to no, speed read. I don't not, think. It's, yeah. yeah. You need to kind of I think with it's it. one to savor that yes. I'm going to just do it over time and kind of. Yes. And a it. lot of it, like some of it is kind of heady, but there's so much, like, it's one of the few books that I feel like I read, reread regularly because there's so much about the creative life and just what it means to create and how we do that, that really I think is profound and and important and um so I had read that first and never read any of his poetry and but he's writing about poetry into another poet and so I was like I really should actually read some of his poetry and I was really glad like I'm really glad I started with Book of Hours and I'm I'm just really glad I finally picked it up so could I have one more okay one more (laughs) and this is more I haven't read the book fully it just arrived um but I kind of wanted to just talk about so Amanda Gorman who has really recently been doing a lot of different things she spoke at the presidential um, inauguration she um, has 
this beautiful poem about kind of earthwise about looking back from space at the earth and mm-hmm. i saw um a ted talk from her and that's the reason i want to bring her up because yeah. she has a new book called uh, call us what we carry and i've started reading it but her her rhymes her the way she writes and brings in surprising words that somehow encapsulate an idea um she does a lot with wordplay her auditory like listening to her perform her poems is fascinating from a rhythm standpoint um but also like how she uses her body and her hands to Mm -hmm. also encapsulate her poetry is amazing in addition to that though in her TED talk she was talking about how she had actually a speech impediment and how she is terrified every time she performs Hmm. and she grounds herself before with a kind of poetic mantra and I think reminding ourselves that sometimes we look at poets and we almost get this weird idea of them as being fearless and as them going out and like being able to speak we don't kind of connect them to the human feelings of oh this is frightening yeah, <laughs> so, this is a normal this is, person is probably this is horrifying yep. <laughs> yep. and I just thought it was really powerful so I, yeah. I wanted to link that in to kind of show you know even as we talk of the words that the reminder that a lot of us face similar things when we're frightened of sharing our work when we're frightened of putting our voice out there so I thought that would be a good thing to kind of I love that it feels like it ties back into our our the beginning of our conversation about slam poetry and okay so (laughs) yes (laughs) Laura when you're in town (laughs) I'm putting this on air because then people can hold us accountable to it (laughs) absolutely Neither Laura and I have ever done an open mic before, but one of our challenges to ourselves or my challenge to Laura and to myself, because it's going to be terrifying and I will be terrified (laughs) is when she comes out next to Arizona, we are going to find an open mic and perform something. Or be like standing in public somewhere. Paralyzed. (laughs) (laughs) But that's how you get over that fear, right? Like that's how you work past those things is by doing it and, and just trying. So. Absolutely. And I totally accept that challenge. <laughs> I am, I always feel like I'm about to vomit when I speak in public. I did a conference and I felt sick for like the day leading up and really for most of the day after. So I am stepping up and through that and saying, okay, we're going to try. We're just going to see what happens. So yes, yeah. I... I so am, we will keep you yeah. all updated when we do that and how on how it goes. <laughs> that, that post like conversation is going to be a real doozy. <laughs> so, uh, well, thank you all for joining us as we talk about different poetry books that we're enjoying. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode and got something out of it. We hope you'll pick up one of these books and try it out yourself mm-hmm. to see what you think. Yeah, keep reading, keep writing, keep putting your work out in the world and doing those scary, scary things. <laughs> All right.